You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JcastNetwork.org. Beginning this weekend, the conservative movement under the umbrella of the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism, which is the organization of conservative Jewish congregations, is convening for its biennial convention in uh, in the Chicago area. Chicago uh, area, I was about to say the city it was in, but no one would know where Schaumburg, Illinois is. So uh, it's in the Chicago, you know where Sh- Schaumburg is, great. Um, so the conservative movement is gathering in the Chicago area beginning this Shabbat and through the coming week. And they've titled the name of their convention, Shape the Center. Their hope in the convention is to invigorate a conversation about conservative Judaism, the Judaism that we advance in this congregation, the approach to Judaism that so many of us have found so enriching and meaningful to our lives, consonant with our values, consistent with the way in which we view the world, an opportunity to shape the future of what that segment of Judaism looks like. But it begs the question, does anybody care? Or why should anybody care? And the statistics that uh, you might find in sociological studies reinforce the urgency of the question, who cares? about the future of the conservative movement. And it's certainly true that from one perspective, one view of the demographic studies, the future of conservative Judaism does not look particularly good. It's lost the most market share in terms of uh, affiliated members of any Jewish denomination over the last uh, 20 years. It doesn't have extremely better rates of uh, of, of, uh, of continued Jewish involvement compared to its peer organizations, its peer movements. And it has seemingly lost so many of its most committed members to streams of Judaism that are perceived as being more serious because they're more to the right. Now, I could give a sermon about how each and every one of those statistics is actually, in a lot of senses, misleading. That's not the sermon I'm going to give, because I actually don't really care what the demographics say. Because the question, as my colleagues and friends gather in the Chicago area, and uh, unfortunately I was not able to be with them, but I wanted to offer this uh, brief Devar Torah as as a part of their conversation. The question is not whether conservative Judaism has lost market share or not. The question is not whether we have fewer members now than we did 20 years ago. The question is, does conservative Judaism matter? And if it matters, why does it matter? So let's start with a premise about what we mean when we say conservative Judaism. The typical framework of Jewish denominational life goes something like this, right? Reform Judaism is lazy, Orthodox Judaism is crazy, and Conservative Judaism is hazy. 
We don't really know what conservative Judaism stands for. None of those things are really true on either, uh, on either side, but that's the typical framework. And so it's often a question, much more a question maybe than any of the other movements, what we mean when we say conservative Judaism. And indeed, the name of the convention even bespeaks that when it says shape the center, what it indicates is that we hold this middle position in Jewish life that has an amorphous shape that has an amorphous definition. And we don't really know what it means when we say conservative Judaism. So when you call Temple Bethel and Jane's voice picks up the phone and says, you have reached Temple Bethel, we are a conservative congregation serving the greater Richmond area. No, depends on which, if you get the night message or the day message. Um, <laughs> it's another issue. But, right? And so you ask yourself, okay, what does that mean that you're a conservative congregation serving the greater Richmond area? So here's what I think it means. And here's why I think it's important. What it means, I think, is expressed in the following way in our congregation's statement of values. That to be a conservative Jew means to have a dynamic view of Judaism. Meaning to say a Judaism that is rooted in the texts and traditions of our ancient history, but is not enslaved to the texts and traditions of our ancient history that incorporates all of the learning that we can possibly experience in the world around us through experience, through study, through investigation, through science, through philosophy, through social studies, through any of the endeavors that we engage in and value in our contemporary life that provide so much insight and meaning and depth and richness to the human experience that what it means to be Jewish is not to be separated from that knowledge. It's not to bifurcate, okay, here's my Jewish self, and here is my regular world self, and neither of these things can actually interact and talk with each other. That, I think, is the position, to the, for the most part, even though it's a kind of a caricature, of Jewish denominations to our right. And to our left... I think the, 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 and again, this is a little bit of a, of a straw man, but there is much more emphasis on the depth and meaning and insight of contemporary study and much less of a sense of rootedness in the texts and traditions of our ancient history. There are good philosophical reasons for the people on my right to say that. It's just not where I find myself. So what we mean when we say that conservative Judaism, it holds a dynamic space in the Jewish landscape, what we mean is that we are rooted by our texts and our traditions, but also that we give ourselves an opportunity to shape and refashion and reconstruct and remake and rejuvenate those texts and traditions to make them meaningful and relevant in a contemporary context. Because only through making them relevant in a contemporary context is the Jewish community truly alive truly flourishing, not flapping in the breeze, and not a fossil. That's why conservative Judaism is so vitally important. And it has implications, and it has ramifications in every other movement within Jewish life. When you go into the federation system, when you go into Israel advocacy, the Jews who so typically make up the leadership of those organizations are conservative Jews. When you go into the reform world, the reason that in the reform world today 
you see much more of an emphasis on traditional Jewish forms and practices. If you go to Reform Synagogue today, there's much more Hebrew in the service versus if you had gone to Reform Congregation 30 years ago. That's the influence of the conservative movement. The influence of being able to say that, yes, we agree that there is beauty and depth and riches in modern life, but not at the expense of the beauty of our ancient tradition. And if you move to the right of us, you see an increasing charge to build inclusion and human dignity into the ranks of modern Orthodox life. Just last week, the Rabbinical Council of America, which is the organizing body of Orthodox rabbis, issued a statement which was actually just a restatement of something they said previously, that they would not accept in any positions of leadership in Orthodox synagogues women who hold rabbinic-like positions. In other words, even if a woman is not called a rabbi, certainly if a woman is called a rabbi, they can't have a position in the Orthodox world. But even women who have titles like maharat, or occupy positions of leadership that are similar to rabbinic positions of leadership, those are also against now the rules of the Rabbinic Council of America in the Orthodox world. But the reason is because the influence of conservative Judaism has made such profound headway within the lay leadership and within the ground of the Orthodox world. Our approach saying that women and men should be equal, given the insights of everything we know about the blessings of modernity, that is something that has also influenced the Orthodox world and will continue to influence the Orthodox world. And so this dynamic center is so vitally important because it holds these two things in unity, that our ancient tradition is beautiful and meaningful, and we have a responsibility to infuse it with the insights and depth of real-world living. It's an insight that we find in our Torah portion this week. Torah portion this week talks about the two children, the twin children of Isaac and Rebekah, the patriarch Isaac, the matriarch Rebekah, their twin children, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau have a sibling rivalry over who is going to become the heir, both the spiritual and the material heir, to, uh, to, to Isaac, who's going to be the next leader of the Jewish people. And Jacob, in an act of cunning, inspired by his mother Rebekah, conspires to steal the blessing from Esau in order to become the heir of the Jewish people. And there are a lot of ways to look at that scene in which Jacob steals the blessing. There are ways to justify Jacob. There are ways to not justify Jacob. But what I think is powerful about that scene is that Jacob comes dressed as Esau. Esau, remember, is described at the beginning of the Torah portion as Ish Yodeat Said, Ish Sadeh, a skillful hunter, a man of the outdoors, in other words, a person of the world, a person engaged in worldly things, a person who has his hands dirty, a person who's involved in the things of this planet, in material things. And Jacob is described as Ish Tam Yoshevo Halim, a mild man who stayed in camp, but all the commentators say that what that means is he spent all of his days studying Torah. That's the image of these two children. You have Jacob that's involved 
day and night in the texts and traditions of his ancient heritage, and Asab, who's involved day and night in matters of the field, in matters of the world. And so when Jacob comes before Asab, excuse me, when Jacob comes before Isaac, dressed as Asab, and says, give me the blessing, and Isaac, not being able to see, feels the sun before him, and says, it feels like Asab. So maybe I should give him the blessing. Here's what he says. He says, Hakol Kol Yaakov, the voice that I'm hearing is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esav. And he didn't recognize him because his hands were like the hands of Esav. And so he blessed him. Now you can take that as an indication of Isaac being fooled. But I think that there's another way of looking at that. That Isaac was no fool. And Isaac wasn't fooled in that moment. And the only reason he gives Jacob the blessing in that moment is precisely because his voice was the voice of Jacob and his hands were the hands of Esau. In other words, he fused together in that moment the best of what Jacob embodied and the best of what Esau embodied. The meaning, the spirit, the passion, the values of Jewish tradition, combined with the need to involve them and to refine them and to rejuvenate them in the light of what's happening in the real world. And so he blessed them. And so he blessed him. And indeed, that same blessing is ours as a Jewish people. But I think in particular, as conservative Jews, as members of a dynamic conservative congregation, the blessing for us as Jews and how we provide blessing to the rest of the Jewish community and the rest of the world is by holding together those twin values of simultaneously having the voice of Jacob and the hands of Asa. And if we are able to combine both of those things and fuse them into a holy unity, 